Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Fresh From The Hill, inside stories of noteworthy Cornellians. I'm your host for this series of episodes, Yasmin Al-Madin, class of 2016. I'm here with Jenny Quang Lam, class of 2001. Um, so thank you so much for being here, Jenny. It's such a pleasure to be here. Great, so what we're gonna, I guess, start with was your time for Cornell. So what were you up to um, and what led you to choose Cornell? Oh, I was that kid that was running around everywhere in high school. Uh, probably in many ways stereotypical uh, overachiever. I was in New York City um, and I was at a school named the Bronx High School of Science mm-hmm. where I lived in Queens and I took the subway an hour and a half every day to get to school. Wow. And it was an intense subway ride, but I, I use a lot of it to study. I use a lot of it to read the New York Times, to chat with friends and um, I think of that as sort of a, a big part of my life in terms of uh, time spent on just thinking about what I wanted to do. And, you know, in, in my time in high school, I did a lot of extracurricular activities. Uh, and so I knew that I, I, those things really fulfilled me. I was like the vice president of the League of Animal Protection. Wow. I was <laughs> director at the Red Cross. And uh, I did all these things that I really loved. And... Uh, I knew I wanted to be uh, at a school that gave me access to those kinds of activities Mm -hmm. that really treasured those things about a person. And so I looked at a lot of schools, mostly in the Northeast, um, but not in New York because I wanted to get away from home. Um, And that had a beautiful sort of campus setting because that's what I always imagined. And so, you know, thinking about the kind of environment I wanted to be in, um, where people valued sort of those kinds of social engagement activities that I valued was uh, one of the main reasons that I I looked at Cornell. Um, And there was another main reason, which was uh, the School of Human Ecology offered a really interesting program, Policy Analysis and Management. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I wanted to study. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I thought something along the lines of business or econ. Um, And this school in particular is a state school. And so the tuition was a lot lower. And that made a big difference for me and my family. And so it was kind of like a, if I could get this, it would be pretty incredible. That's great. It sounds like a perfect storm of all of those things. Yes. So then um, walk us through your first I guess, few years of Cornell. How did you find the transition from New York City to, like you said, the idyllic campus life? I loved it. Oh, man. It's like... I, I meet a lot of young people in my line of work, um, and I, I just meet a lot of young people who are interested in mentorship and mm-hmm. career path. And whenever I have the chance to think back to my time there, it's always very nostalgic yeah. and it makes me feel very warm and fuzzy. Uh, it was a time of like, I just, the, the moments I remember, I don't remember what I studied other than like the classes that were fascinating. Um, Any particular classes? I loved, yeah, I loved my art, Architecture 101. Mm-hmm. So in Pam, the nice thing was, and I don't know if it's changed since then, but you get to take half of your credits in the school mm-hmm. and half of your credits anywhere else. And so for someone who is curious about a lot of things, Cornell was the perfect place to go just explore for without sure. like any repercussion. Mm-hmm. And so I studied, uh, I, I studied architecture, I found was fascinating. Um, I remember, what was it called? It was called, I think it was called 
human sexuality. Wow. Which was like super fascinating. Like these classes that, uh, oh, and something I didn't think was fascinating at the time and has been incredibly useful to me was multivariate regression. Ooh, so, doesn't sound no, crazy. I know. No, it wasn't, but it was one of those things where now I can read a paper and understand, uh, you know, if this study is valid or not, mm-hmm. right? And so all these things that I just didn't think I would um, have found value in or just was curious about, I got a chance to do, and that's what I loved, and those are the things I remember about Cornell. Yeah. Uh, not like the stress of studying and not the stress of anything else. And just like really just having fun with people, running around, literally walking around on the hall and just, hey, finding a friend to go grab coffee with or chat with. Uh, those are the memories that I really think about when, when you ask me, what were those years like? Yeah, that's so great. And you mentioned you were kind of the head of a lot of things in your high school. What were you specifically involved in on campus? Uh, I was involved in quite a few. The main one, and I, oh gosh, I was talking to someone recently about it too, because there, there are a few teenagers who are... Uh, no, actually, it was the Cornell Chorus. Oh, wow. And these, uh, Sophia and, and Dana from the Cornell Chorus. Were shout out. Yeah, shout out. You girls are amazing. They were recently in Toronto, um, and I and they were planning their chorus trip around Canada. Um, and I was like, oh, how, how, how's it been, you know? And, you know, it's, it's tough. It's mm-hmm. tough planning that for 49-person chorus and all of the logistics around it. Um, and it. And I relate to them my time at Cornell where of all the activities I was involved in senior week was uh, the thing that I, I was my capstone mm-hmm. achievement and it was my senior year obviously and uh, I just didn't really know what to expect I just thought it was a lot of event coordination but it was a lot of leadership and you had to take on a team of 16 people and make sure they were involved inspired and doing their job and uh, at a time when you're also trying to look for jobs yourself and trying to do well on scope tests and so I look back at my time there and it feels like I gave a lot back through that activity because Senior Week was a great event that people remember. And so that was probably one of my favorite um, extracurriculars I was involved in specifically. Um, And that was really through the uh, senior, through the class council, class council of 2004, which was, I wish I was involved in my entire time there. That, that's so great. And I remember you told me once, not on the podcast, but um, <laughs> that you said that you, when you knew you could do senior week, you, you could do anything in your job. Yeah. So you still look back on that, which is incredible since that was years ago. Yeah. yeah. I remember for many years after school, I would come across tough job situations and be like, you know what, though? I, I did senior week and I can do this. True. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, yes, but then our friends are outside of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then... I guess any other parts of your experience that we haven't covered, like on campus, that you want to um, highlight, or any challenges you you know face? the the funny thing is like surely many challenges, but it, something that that I don't I don't think I I talk about or like even my my best friends or who are my classmates we don't ever talk about this, but these are the things that I also seep into my memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like when we talk about Cornell, I think a lot about the images of being on campus. And I feel like we all really reminisce for it, but it's so unique to be surrounded by foliage and porches and grass and beautiful buildings and structures and people from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, I don't know, is it possible to give a shout out to a location? Shout out to like the location and the ambiance, because I do remember that a lot too. It's true. No, completely. Shout out to that. <laughs> um, okay, so after Cornell, 
what have you been up to? You've been up to a lot of different yeah. things. So maybe like walk us through a few highlights. Oh, <clears throat> uh, you know, after when I was at school, I didn't like I mentioned, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I had tried. Uh, I had tried some time in, during school, I had tried some time in investment banking mm -hmm. and I didn't like it. Um, I tried some time in advertising and it wasn't for me. And so I was like, what am I gonna do? And I had a friend who joined this company that I had never heard of called Accenture. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, well, if you got a job at Accenture, it must be an interesting place. So I looked into it uh, and I thought, consulting might be really interesting for someone who doesn't really know what they wanna do. So for three years after school, I joined Accenture uh, and I was, quickly sort of rolled onto the management consulting part of the company. Mm -hmm. And it was the most amazing training ground to meet different people, learn a ton of skills, presentation skills. You know, we make fun of the fact that we spend a lot of time on decks, but I am a master sure. slide maker now. Uh, and that served me very well. Mm -hmm. So I spent three years, I feel like, learning on someone else's dollar. Um, and I really appreciated it. I had some great learnings there. And then after a while there, I thought, I really want to spend some more time deep in a product that I love. Uh, and so I thought I was going to join Google because I loved Google. This was 2007 at the time. Um, but I had, I had also gotten an offer from this place that was kind of a startup at the time. Uh, and it was like online advertising exchange. And I was like, what is that? I didn't know anything other than, oh, I, I kind of have an economics background. This is kind of a, you know, it's an online ad exchange. So I joined it, uh, and within literally a, a week of my joining, the company was acquired by Yahoo. Wow. So I, all my doing, obviously. Uh, and so I ended up at Yahoo for three years, doing, uh, on the advertising side of the business, doing mm -hmm. uh, products, doing strategy, doing consulting, and, I, you know, I, 25, I was made a director at the company. It's incredible. Um, which, yeah, you know, is incredible when I look back on it, but also uh, leads into where I went up next because I also think of some of that times as my greatest failures, mm. especially from a managing perspective and like what it looks like to be a manager. Uh, I wrote my business school application on that. Wow. So I ended up uh, deciding that, didn't know what was next. Business school sounded like something people love, and deciding that uh, to apply and got into Harvard. So I spent two years at Harvard Business School and trying to figure out what was next. And the nice thing about that is you get to spend two years of your life figuring out what you want to do and talking to anyone almost in the world wow. about their job mm -hmm. uh, to see if this is what you want to do. And weirdly enough, I went, ended up right back in tech. So that's good. It reinforces what you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Other than that, it was just easier to not switch. Um, but absolutely, for me, I think it, it made a lot of sense and decided to move to San Francisco uh, with my fiance at the time and got a job at, a, you know, was like, what's cool about tech and decided I wanted to do mobile payments. So got into a mobile payments company, did that for a year, then had to move to New York um, for my husband. Uh, so in between that, we got married. And That's amazing. Thank you. Uh, so we moved back to New York, and I joined the next hot thing, which was 3D printing. So ended up doing 3D marketing and growth work at 3D, in 3D printing at a company called Shapeways for a year. Uh, and then once again, moved for love up to Toronto, which is where my husband is from, and uh, have been at a company in Toronto called Wattpad for the past three and a half years. Uh, four years now. Uh, and so... And now I'm actually the general manager of the company, and it's you know been a pretty amazing roller coaster ride leading up to it. Mm -hmm. I guess so. A lot of the listeners are young alumni. So, what are some 
piece of advice you um, would wish you've heard at the, um, when you were a young alumni yourself, whether it's mentorship or grad school or anything? Yeah, yeah I, do get, I get asked this uh, quite often. And I don't know, this, for everyone it's different, um, but I, I very much push people to, to just like make the change. And it comes from a place of, of privilege, right? If you can make a career change, for example, if you're frustrated, it's because you have enough job security or financial mm-hmm. security or something to be able to do that. Um, so assuming that is the case, uh, and we all went to this incredible school, so we have this incredible network and this backing and this degree that's on the wall and on the resume that we, we can rely on. Um, but it's it's people are oftentimes very afraid to make change because they're afraid of what it will show others. It'll feel like a failure if you work at a job for less than a year, or uh, what will the um, recruiter think if you've been job skipping and things like that. And I do work in tech, so it may be a little different for different industries, but my guidance is always, if you know there's something else you want to do, just go do that. And it, and it doesn't have to be the right thing, it just has to be better than what you're currently doing. And you won't know that until you try, and so I, like, I'm always pushing people to go test, um, because I don't know, work is such a big part of my life. And so if if it's a big part of your life, if that's a big part of your identity, making progress towards towards uh, change and towards improvement feels like the right thing to do, even if it's socially strange or different um, and has and we think has implications. But, I, you know, I look at a lot of resumes and if there's anybody, if there's anyone who's job switching a lot, I get the context and if there's a good explanation, which oftentimes there is, or if it's like, I, I joined a company and it didn't, they weren't doing what I wanted to do, good for you for not then wasting their time or your own exactly. and switching. Uh, so that's one thing that I, I like to push people to. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And I think a lot of young alum, alums just think there's gonna be a perfect time or a perfect job or all of this. And, and you've even given me that advice, like, okay, if you wanna explore another tech company, do it, do it now, there's no, you know, date, specific date. And how was your experience with that? It was great. great. I think you were one of the first or only people that was like, yep, sounds good. You should do it. (laughs) Whereas a lot of people had very qualified or couched ideas. And I just, I could like definitely benefited from it. So yeah. And it's also like we, we have this really at the very end of it is we, we have this incredible prestigious name on our resume that gets us still into a lot of doors. And so I think without that, I might have a different approach, but it's like, that's the, that's the thing that allows me to feel a little, it's a little bit of my safety vest. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, there are more doors that can be opened as a result. And so uh, just advancing that seems like a, a safer thing to do than usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Any other kind of... Yeah. Business? You know, there's also, I don't know if there's any um, folks who are applying to school, uh, but if there are... You know, two two things that I really valued about my time at Cornell, uh, one will be obvious, one will be less obvious. The more obvious one is I studied abroad in Paris for six months in my junior year, and it was incredible. What did you like most about it? It was, uh, it was, it was like unresponsible time. <laughs> it's like, you spend all this time trying to get into this incredible school. Um, you spend all this time while you're at school trying to do well, and then you spend a lot of time getting to your, to your next job. But for those six months where you're studying abroad, usually you just get to 
do you. You do you. Yeah, you do you. Yeah. As the kids say. Yeah, the kids say. Literally, the kids, as the kids say. I got to do me. I got to eat baguettes and eat Nutella and go to different museums and talk to different people um, in a way that was that had very little consequence, right? Whatever happened in those six months didn't wasn't on my transcript. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was a time where you get to really invest in your brain and your heart in a, in a way that is different from doing it through school and yeah. through classes. Uh, and so I still keep in touch with some of the people that I studied abroad with. And that's so great. All over the world, they're amazing women. Uh, and so I always encourage people if they can to study abroad, even if it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. There, I know that in some, uh, some majors it's hard to do. And so if it's a priority for you to invest like that, uh, I would suggest it. And the other part of that is it's also hard to see that as a priority when you're in school. It's, it's like the world is in front of you and every one of your peers is excelling in these different ways. And so it's like, can I take that six months? Mm-hmm. You can. Like you Clearly can. you did and you're doing I time. did and I'm doing okay, right? Like you totally can. And so I for sure give that advice. It may, be, it may not be studying abroad in Paris. It may be studying something that's different from what your major mm-hmm. is even, right? Just doing that time of, of uh, investing in yourself. Uh, and then the other thing is... Uh, I, I randomly took uh, an accounting class, I think, at the hotel school. Oh, wow. And that's served me very well. It was a basic accounting class, and I always recommend it to people, uh, you know, in any aspect of business, understanding a balance sheet and cash flow is valuable. And so it's not like I ever needed to go and, and like, balance a company's, like, balance sheet, but... I, I knew how to read it at a basic level, mm-hmm. and uh, that's always valuable because then you just—I I didn't feel completely like a fish out of water when people were talking about these things, uh, and that's very valuable. It's like, sure. yeah, not—is uh, having a basic level of understanding of a lot of things so that you feel comfortable enough that you can also raise your hand and say, uh, "I don't understand this," and not feel awkward about saying that uh, because your foundation is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the foundation and the confidence to be able to use those words and understand them in context is so important yeah those are two, two very different but very <laughs> useful things yeah. one one for everyone yeah exactly one is having fun in paris with the guests and one's the bouncing oh, imagine we could do both of those at the same time then you can okay. yes yeah. and accounted in paris is like i do i don't know um <laughs> So, yeah, you wanted to also talk about, you went to business school. I'm sure a lot of people that mm-hmm. graduate Cornell are saying, oh, I want to pursue a degree in something, um, a graduate degree. What is your advice there? Let me see. So I, I never thought I would go to business school when I left. Um, and I didn't apply to business school until six years out of undergrad. Wow. So I was a little later than most, most uh, people who apply. And I actually... I hated the advice that people gave me because I was like, how do I, literally my question was, how do I get in? And the response I always got was, be yourself. And I was like, that is literally useless. Don't tell me to be myself. Tell me what I should do. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm gonna try to be helpful, but at the end of the day, that's that's all you can be. Um, I, I think if I were to give people maybe a, a few pieces of advice, uh, it's it's to reflect on why you want to go, which will help inform which school may be a good fit. And so for me, I wasn't trying necessarily to switch jobs. I wasn't trying. I didn't need a degree to advance in, in you know at Yahoo or to get to the next step in tech. Uh, I wanted it because I. Everyone I talked to about business school, their eyes glazed over when I asked them about it because they had so much fun. And I 
I was like, that sounds like a thing thing I would want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to work in China. I knew that at some point, and I didn't really know how to get there. And so I thought maybe business school was a way to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very tired after six years of working and not feeling like I knew what I wanted. So I saw it, as, again, as an investment in myself, mm-hmm. an expensive investment in myself. And so that's why I wanted to go. So for different people, if you want to get you know, extremely uh, capable and technical in finance or in marketing or something else, that might lead you on a different path of what kind of school or degree to pursue. Uh, and then in the application process, it's a lot of time on self-reflection and being as candid and honest about your failures and your dreams as possible. That's when I wrote my uh, greatest regret essay uh, about the people that I managed at Yahoo. I, I for sure didn't know how to manage and it hurt and I wrote about it. And you, I was afraid to write about it because I thought, oh, this school's gonna think I have no leadership qualities. Uh, but. N- no business school expects you to be perfect. Um, business schools expect and want people who can reflect on themselves mm-hmm. and learn from it. And so in that process, even if I didn't get to any school, it benefited me because I learned about myself and that's the most important part of that process. Um, but to the point where you can really be honest and direct and not use flowery language and not try to impress anyone, but just like, this is what I am, this is what I learned about myself, here's what I want to do with my life. The schools are looking for that. Uh, for the most part. And so that's usually the kind of guidance that I give. That's very, very useful advice. And a lot better than just be yourself. <laughs> like I am myself. <laughs> I, do that. I, know. I am myself, but I also want to be the person who can get in. So yeah, what does exactly. that mean? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe uh, can you talk about your time at Wattpad, how, how it's been kind of going on maternity leave while leading up to such a big role? Yeah, maternity leave in Canada is really interesting for a lot of our non-Canadian listeners. Mm. Uh, now I believe you can take up to 18 months off and your job is protected. Um, at, before it was a whopping 12 months. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I of the four years I was at WAPAD, two, almost two of those I was on maternity leave. Um, and to be able to... I have, I, it's, a, it's a real blessing to mm-hmm. be able to take that time and, and truly commit it to myself and my family. Uh, for me, that was valuable because then I could come back full and really dive into the work without feeling like I shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Wattpad, for those who don't know, is a global media and entertainment company. Um, it's an app uh, and it's used by 70 million people around the world on a monthly basis. It's a huge user base of very passionate community members. Uh, there's probably a few of the listeners who have used it in the past because we're, mm-hmm. yeah, we're used by uh, uh, historically by a lot of young women who love stories. And that's what the app is about. It's a place where anyone can read or write a story that they can share with a community of people. Um, and people build real strong and deep friendships and bonds on it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a pretty uh, humbling and, ex- and amazing thing to be a part of that, uh, especially to be the general manager of a, of a company like that. Um, and what general manager means is that, you, you know, I see my responsibility as making sure that we are focused on the most impactful things possible for the company, um, as well as for our employees and our community. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's that's awesome. So you also, while being a general manager and like kind of investing in your family and then enjoying Toronto, you're also running the Cornell Club of Toronto. So maybe can you talk 
to the listeners about why you decided to be so engaged in yeah. the alumni community? You know, like thinking about all the things I'm saying, and it sounds kind of illustrious, but it's like these things all, there's, there's so many also, I have to say, uh, detours and challenges along the way too. And so it's like, sure, I'm in this position now, but there were a lot of challenges along the way that got me there. And even with the Cornell Club of Toronto, uh, being the president of something is very meaningful mm-hmm. uh, and a big responsibility. Um, but it's the, the way I got there is because I, when I moved to Toronto four years ago, I didn't know a single soul. And we had a family, but no friends, no network here. Mm-hmm. And the first place, this is like why I love Cornell, one of the first things I did was I joined that email list. Yeah. And I was like, how can I help? How do I get engaged? Uh, and there was a happy hour uh, that I, it was like a windy, blustery day. And I remember walking in and it was this warm, cozy English pub environment. Uh, and the first person I met was the president of the club at the time, Beth Duffy. Uh, and she, when I told her, I was like, I don't know anyone here. I'm joining, I've joined the club because I'm an alum and I would love to meet people. She literally took me by the arm and introduced me to every single other person there. Wow. She, yeah. That's definitely her in a nutshell. <laughs> she is like that in every way and every aspect of life. Uh, and so for me, it was like, first of all, that totally reinforces Cornell and the mm-hmm. value it, it continues to add to my life. Um, but second of all, also taught me what Toronto is like mm-hmm. uh, and what really good leadership looks like for a club, right? It's, it's helping individuals succeed in, in this new city or in the club environment. And so uh, I joined the club and I became active as a board member. I hosted events and I volunteered for things because I wanted to give back and because of selfishly I wanted to meet people. And so did that for a few years and Beth approached me when she said, I think it's time for me to step down from my tenure. And she's been incredible for the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, you know, because of her, there's regular activities and a whole bunch of people under her leadership. Um, but there's regular activities. It's, I believe, the most active IV um, alumni network in Toronto. We've heard that from many wow. other presidents. And so she asked me to, to if I would be interested in the presidency. We did a little bit of a nomination process and that was it. And so it was like, Sounds illustrious getting there, but really it was just putting in time to help, not having any expectations, I never expected that that would be an option, but not having any expectations, and then uh, someone like Beth, you know, giving me that chance to now take the, take the help. Mm. Yeah. And like you said, it came out of you just wanting to connect with people in Toronto that had similar backgrounds. Or That's similar. exactly how I met you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another plug. Um, so... I guess now how is it going with growing this um, alumni network here? Because it's a little different to have an alumni network in a different country than the school, I find, and it's a smaller community, so just maybe talk about the differences. It's very interesting. So I was also a member of the Cornell Club in New York, Mm -hmm. right? And New York, I believe, has the biggest alumni network of all Cornell alumni networks, and there's this big, beautiful building. Mm -hmm. And and so it's, it's, I would say maybe more casual is an interesting way to put it in that we have a huge alumni network in the greater Toronto area. It's about 1,200 alumni, uh, and but it's spread out much more geographically diversely than some concentrated cities. And so one of the first things I really wanted to understand, uh, and this is also how I approach my job, is like, who are these people? What are they interested in? What do they want from an alumni network? What programming do they want? So we sent out this massive survey, Mm -hmm. um, and it was from the responses that we saw. People were very interested not only in social programming, which we were excelling at, uh, but also in career development and professional speakerships and things like that. 
we have such an incredible alumni base here that we really wanted to tap into. So uh, that's where we started off after I um, became president, I think a year and a half ago, and asked sort of the, the board members, how, what kind of programming could this look like? And most, most importantly, what are you interested in? What are you interested in so that we know there's going to be other people interested in this? Uh, how do we make programming out of that? Mm -hmm. And so we've had some incredible events, uh, including you know, leadership coaches at, at a fireside chat, uh, including a women leadership series that, that Yasmin put on herself, um, where we had someone like Beth Horowitz, who is now a friend of both of us, yeah. uh, who is an alum. She's an incredible person. She's an incredible person. She's a Cornell alum. Uh, she was amongst many roles, uh, CEO of American Express in Canada, uh, and offered to be our keynote when we told her about this event. right? And so events like this, where there's a lot more professional networking opportunities, um, because we think that that fills a different niche uh, for our alumni network. And so while that's in progress, it's it. I have to say, like it, it, half the time I still feel like I'm failing the club. There's so much more that everyone wants to do. There's so much more that we should be doing. Um, there's a great example of one of our previous uh, alum who moved away, Kim Emerson, she spearheaded a scholarship. And it's a scholarship that we do a fundraiser for every year uh, that we are able to then provide to a Canadian student uh, and to subsidize their tuition at Cornell. And so there's things like this, there's amazing traditions that we're building um, at the club. And I'm literally, I see myself as just trying to facilitate and empower people to do the things that they love uh, and have a platform and a stage to do that. And so that's probably been, you know, the most pleasurable part because, as a result, we've had incredible events, including the ones I've mentioned, as well as a few others that are coming up. Yeah. So I guess now um, to wrap up, uh, what was your favorite spot on campus, and why is it associated with a specific memory or anything? Yeah, my favorite spot on campus. There, first of all, Cornell has so many beautiful spots, so many. Uh, including. You know, for me, including all of the cafeterias where it's all you can eat and that's not a thing anymore, and then kind of sad. Uh, I lived on North Campus when I think RPU was just built. Uh, well, where did you live when you were there? North Campus, yeah. yeah. I, um, but it, we called it RPCC. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that transition happened. Right yeah. Now. And it was like. It was not all you can eat, it was oh. very much swiped and. Oh, controls and everything. Oh, I'm so sad. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> it was like, oh, I'm feeling like waffles and ice cream for dinner, and it was at my fingertips. So I have a lot of food memories, yeah. and all of the Cornell dining is part of my favorite spots on yeah. campus. But uh, the thing that I love to show people when I'm there are the um, right above Olin Library, the musical tiles. Yeah. And you get to like throw stones and you hear all the music of it. And it was just one of these like, quirky things where it's really unexpected and you could walk right by every day and have no idea in your entire time there but if you just stop and spend a little bit of time playing around and in that example of like skipping stones you get to experience this different whole different experience and so I you know when my friends and I would hang out sometimes if we would sit there it'd be a fun thing to do is just like skip the stones and listen to the sounds that was by, just passing by and, I, and I, if I remember correctly you can also think see the lake from that view too mm -hmm. so yeah. it's like oh, perfect yeah where do you get to go where you get to see this incredible amount of scenery and musical sensation and all of the things at the same time so those it's one of my favorite places for sure that's a great spot well thank you so much for sharing all your advice and, and fun memories and stories 
about your time at Cornell and now how you're giving back uh, to Cornell. Thank so you. thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining and listening to that episode. If you enjoyed listening to me talk, you can check out my other podcast, Witty, Women in Tech Talk to Yaz, where I share stories of women disrupting the technology industry. This podcast music was written, produced, and recorded by Kia Albertson Rogers, class of 2013. You can contact him at koa3 at cornell.edu. You can find out more about the show and ways to stay involved with Cornell at alumni.cornell.edu slash youngalumni and on the Facebook page, Cornell Young Alumni Program. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Fresh From The Hill on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast.